here is a minority, here's an African American, here they are being abused, then it's the same situation. It's been 30 years since Rodney King. Hey guys, this is Chuma, and you are listening to The Silent Doc. So this is one piece of our mini three-part series dealing directly with the protests, the unrest, and the riots spurred out of the death of an innocent unarmed black man, George Floyd. He falls in a long list of others including Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and many more who have died due to state-sponsored violence. All this upheaval occurs while we are still caught up in COVID-19 which, by the way, has not gone away. The fact that we have to deal with both is beyond overwhelming. So this will be a very different kind of episode. Here, there will be no stories told, but you will hear one. For the remainder of the podcast, you will hear from individuals in the black community, past and present, helping us understand exactly what is going on. My aim is not to take sides or to tell you how to feel, but to rather push you into the discussion. Do peaceful protests yield results? How do we think about rioting? Should they be condemned? Where do we go from here? So you'll be hearing from Tamika Mallory at a rally in Minneapolis, an interview from the Reverend MLK Jr., a snippet from a press conference with Andrew Cuomo, live reflections from Cornell West in a conversation with Anderson Cooper, thoughts on the unrest from Trevor Noah, And we will end with the mayor of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the night of the unrest itself. In addition to this, throughout this podcast, you will hear live sounds from the protest turned riotous itself, from both those incidentally caught up in it and those actively participating. Let's get started. Vocal group will be able 
to make a real dent in the Negro community in terms of swaying 22 million Negroes to this particular point of view. And I contend that the cry of black power is at bottom a reaction to the reluctance of white power to make the kind of changes necessary to make justice a reality for the Negro. I think we've got to see that a riot is the language of the unheard. How many summers like this one do you imagine that we can expect? Well, I would say this, we don't have long. The mood of the Negro community now is one of urgency. The reason why buildings are burning are not just for our brother, George Floyd. We're, they're burning down because people here in Minnesota are saying to people in New York, to people in California, to people in Memphis, to people all across this nation, enough is enough. And we are not responsible for the mental illness that has been inflicted upon our people by the American government, institutions, and those people who are in positions of power. I don't give a damn if they burn down Target. Because Target should be on the streets with us, calling for the justice that our people deserve. Where was AutoZone at the time when Philando Castile was shot in a car, which is what they actually represent? Where were they? So if you are not coming to the people's defense, then don't challenge us when young people and other people who are frustrated and instigated by the people you pay, you are paying instigators to be among our people out there throwing rocks, breaking windows, and burning down buildings. And so young people are responding to that. They are enraged, and there's an easy way to stop it. Arrest the cops. Charge the cops. Charge all the cops. Not just some of them. Not just here in Minneapolis. Charge them in every city across America where our people are being murdered. Charge them everywhere. That's the bottom line. Charge the cops. Do your job. Do what you say this country is supposed to be about, the land of the free for all. It has not been free for black people, and we are tired. Don't talk to us about looting. Y'all are the looters. America has looted black people. America looted the Native Americans when they first came here. So looting is what you do. We learned it from you. We learned violence from you. We learned violence from you. The violence was what we learned from you. So if you want us to do better, then damn it, you do better.
times. I, I recall the moments in which during the Reagan years, there was a few of us out there. In the 60s, you had masses out there. Now you've got a younger generation of all of these different colors and genders and sexual orientations saying, we won't take it any longer. But you know what's sad about it, though, brother, at the deepest level? It looks as if the system cannot reform itself. We've tried black faces in high places. Too often our black politicians, professional class, middle class, become too accommodated to the capitalist economy, too accommodated to the militarized nation state, too accommodated to the market-driven culture tied with celebrity status, power, fame, all of that superficial stuff that means so much to so many fellow citizens. And what happens? What happens is we got a neo-fascist gangster in the White House who really doesn't care for the most part. You got a neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party that is now in the driver's seat with the, with the collapse of Brother Bernie. And they don't really know what to do because all they want is show more black faces, show more black faces. But oftentimes these black faces are losing legitimacy too because the Black Lives Matter movement emerged under a black president, black attorney general, and black homeland security, and they couldn't deliver, you see? So that when you talk about the masses of black people, the precious poor and working class black people, poor and working class brown, red, yellow, whatever color, they're the ones who are left out and they feel so thoroughly powerless, helpless, hopeless, then you get rebellion. And we've reached the point now, it's a choice between nonviolent revolution, and by revolution what I mean is the democratic sharing of power, resources, wealth, and respect. If we don't get that kind of sharing, you're going to get more violent explosions. Now, the sad thing is, in this neo-fascist moment in the White House, you've got some neo-fascist brothers and sisters out there who are already armed. They show up there at the U.S. Capitol, and they don't get arrested, they don't get put down. Well, that's, that's, the president that's the extraordinary yeah. thing. You see what I mean? You it's have like, hey. you have these white weekend you have these white weekend warriors showing up as if they're former special forces ops when they're not, uh, you know, busting into the state house, and the president praises those people, and yet everybody else is a thug to the president. He quotes, you know, a white sheriff from the south in I, I guess it was '67 or maybe '68. I mean, that's if you wrote that in a movie, people would say there's no way the president of the United States would quote a southern sheriff on the night that a great city in this that's country right. is is seeing, you know, people in the streets. We have to call people who they are. A neo-fascist thug in the White House calls my brothers and sisters in the street thugs. So that then the question becomes, how do we keep alive moral, spiritual standards, keep alive Stand in contact with the humanity of all of us across the board, but recognizing we're living in a moment of massive economic failure when it comes to delivering the needs. The nation state, failure to, to protect. Critical criminal justice system, failure to be fair, you see. And, and, and the only, only response we have is, uh, is Samuel Beckett, my brother. Try again, fail again, fail better. That's Try the blues line of our Irish better. brother. But, but, but the question is, we must fight. Even in a moment in which we have a failed social experiment, we must 
fight, and we must have an anti-fascist coalition against what's going on in the White House Republican Party. We have to tell the truth about the milquetoast, cowardly activity too often that we see among the neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party, and we must be critical of ourselves in terms of keeping alive the highest moral and spiritual standards of Martin Luther King Jr. and Fannie Lou Hamer and Ella Baker. And you see that work in the soul of Brother George Floyd's family. unrelated and yet at the same time I feel like everything that happens in the world connects to something else in some way shape or form and I think this news this news cycle that we witnessed in the last week was a perfect example of that Amy Cooper George Floyd and you know the people of Minneapolis Amy Cooper was for many people I think the catalyst and by the way I should mention that all of this is like against the backdrop of coronavirus you know People stuck in their houses for one of the longest periods we can remember. People losing more jobs than every, anyone can ever remember. Um, people struggling to make do more than they can ever remember. And I think all of that compounded by the fact that there seems to be no genuine plan from leadership. Like, no one knows what's going to happen. You know, no one knows how long they're supposed to be good, how long they're supposed to stay inside, how long they're supposed to flatten the curb. No one knows any of these things. And so what happens is you have a group of people who are stuck inside, all of us as society, we're stuck inside, and we then start to consume. We see what's happening in, in the world, and I think Amy Cooper was one of the first moments that, that you know, one of the first dominoes that, that, that we saw get knocked down post-corona for many people. And that was a world where you quickly realize that while everyone is facing the battle against coronavirus, black people in America are still facing the battle against racism and coronavirus. And the reason I say it's a domino is because think about how many black Americans just have read and seen the news of how black people are disproportionately affected by coronavirus. And not because of something inherently inside black people, but rather because of the lives black people have lived in America for so long. You know, coronavirus exposed all of it. And now here you had this woman who, we've all seen the video now, blatantly, blatantly knew how to use the power of, of, of her whiteness 
to threaten the life of another man and his blackness. What we saw with her was a really, really powerful, explicit example of, of an understanding of racism in a structural way. When she looked, when she looked at, 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 at that man, when she looked at Cooper and she said to him, I'm going to call 911 and I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. She knew how powerful that was. And that in itself is telling, you know, it tells you how she perceives the police. It tells you how she perceives her perception or her relationship with the police as a white woman. It shows you how she perceives a black man's relationship with the police and the police's relationship with him. It's, it was, it was really, it was, it was, it was powerful. Because so many people act like they don't know what, what, what black Americans are talking about when they say it. And yet Amy Cooper had a distinct understanding. She was like, oh, I know. I know that you're, you're afraid of in interacting with the police because there is a presumption of your guilt because of your blackness. I know that as a white woman, I can weaponize this tool against you. And I know that by the time we've sifted through who was right or wrong, there's a good chance that you will have lost in some way, shape or form. And so for me, that was, that was the first domino. I felt like you could feel something stirring. And all of this, again, is in the backdrop. backdrop. It's, it's coronavirus has happened. The numbers have come out. You know, the story of Ahmad Arbery in Georgia, that story has come out. All of these things are happening. And then the video of George Floyd comes out. And I don't know what made that video more painful for people to watch. The fact that that man was having his life taken in front of our eyes, the fact that we're watching someone being murdered by someone whose job is to protect and serve, or the fact that he seemed so calm doing it, you know? Oftentimes we always told that police feared for their life. It was like a threat and, and you know, you, you, you always feel like an asshole when, when you're like, you didn't fear for your life. How, why did you fear for your life? How did you feel? But now more and more we're starting to see that it's like, no, it doesn't seem like there's a fear. It just seems like it's, you can do it so you did it. There was a black man on the ground in handcuffs and you, you could take his life so you did. Almost knowing that there would be no ramifications.
when the riots happened, that for me was an interesting culmination of everything. I saw so many people online saying, these riots are disgusting. This is not how a society should be run. You do not loot and you do not burn and you do not... This is not how our society is built. And that, that actually triggered something in me where I was like, man, okay. Society. What, but what is society? And fundamentally, when you boil it down, society is a contract. It's a contract that we sign as human beings amongst each other. We sign a contract with each other as people, whether it's spoken or unspoken, and we say, amongst this group of us, we agree in common rules, common ideals, and common practices that are going to define us as a group. That's what I think a society is. It's a contract. And as with most contracts, the contract is only as strong as the people who are, who are abiding by it. But if you think of being a black person in America who is living in Minneapolis or Minnesota or any place where you're not having a good time, ask yourself this question when you watch those people, what vested interest do they have in maintaining the contract? Why, like, why don't we all loot? Why, why don't, why doesn't everybody take, why don't, because we've agreed on things. There are so many people who are starving out there. There's so many people who don't have, there's so many people, there are people who are destitute. There are people who, when the virus hits and they don't have a second paycheck already broke, which is insane, but that's, that's the reality. But still think about how many people who don't have the have nots say, you know what? I'm still going to play by the rules, even though I have nothing, because I still wish for the society to work and exist. And then some members of that society, namely black American people, watch time and time again how the contract that they have signed with society is not being honored by the society that has forced them to sign it with them. When you watch Ahmad Arbery being shot and you hear that those men have been released and were it not for the video and the outrage, those people would be living their lives what part of the contract is that in society? When, when you see George Floyd on the ground and you see a man losing his life in a way that no person should ever have to lose their life, at the hands of someone who's supposed to enforce the law, what part of the contract is that? And a lot of people say, well, what good does this do? Yeah, but what, what good doesn't it do? That's the question people don't ask the other way around. What good does it do to loot Target? What is it, how does it help you to loot Target? Yeah, but how does it help you to not loot Target? Answer that question. Because the only reason you didn't loot Target before was because you were upholding society's contract. There is no contract if law and people in power don't uphold their end of it. And that's the thing I think people don't understand sometimes, is that, is that we need people at the top to be the most accountable because they are the ones who are basically setting the tone and the tenor for everything that we do in society. It's the same way we tell parents to set an example for their kids. The same way we tell captains or coaches to set an example for their players. The same way you tell teachers to set an example for their students. The reason we do that is because we understand in society that if you lead by example, there is a good chance that people will follow that example that you have set. And so if the example law enforcement is setting is that they do not adhere to the laws, then why should the citizens of that society adhere to the laws when in fact the law enforces themselves don't? There's a, there's a really fantastic chapter in Malcolm Gladwell's book, David and Goliath, where he talks about 
the principles of legitimacy. And he says, in order for us to argue that any society or any, any legal body or any power is legitimate, we have to agree on core principles. And those three principles, if I remember correctly, is number one, we have to agree on what the principles are. Number two, we have to believe that the people who are enforcing the principles are going to enforce them fairly. And number three, we have to agree that everyone in that society is going to be treated fairly according to those principles. It is safe to say in this one week alone, and maybe even from the beginning of coronavirus really blowing out in America, black Americans have seen their principles completely delegitimized. Because if you're a black person in America right now and you're watching this, if you're a black American person specifically and you're watching this, what principles are you seeing? I think sometimes the thing we need to remember, and it's something I haven't remembered my whole life. I, like it's, you, you, you start to learn these things, you know, when, when, you, when you travel the world, when you read, when you learn about society, I think is that like, when you are a have and when you are a have not, you see the world in very different ways. And a lot of the time people say to the have nots, this is not the right way to handle things. When Colin Kaepernick kneels, they say, this is not the right way to protest. When Martin Luther King had children as part of his protest in Birmingham, Alabama, people said having children as your protest is not the right way to do things. When he marched in Selma, people said this is not the right way to do things. When people marched through the streets in South Africa during apartheid, they said this is not the right way to do things. When people burn things, they say it's not the it's never the right way because there's never there is never a right way to protest. And I've said this before, there is no right way to protest because that's what protest is. It cannot be right because you are protesting against a thing that is stopping you. And so I think what a lot of people don't realize is the same way you might have experienced even more anger and, and more just visceral disdain watching those people loot that target. Think to yourselves... Or maybe it would help you if you, if you think about that, that, that unease that you felt watching that target being looted. Try to imagine how it must feel for black Americans when they watch themselves being looted every single day. Because that's fundamentally what's happening in America. Police in America are looting black bodies. And I know someone might think that's an extreme phrase, but it's not. Because here's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize. George Floyd died. That is part of the reason the story became so big, because he died. But how many George Floyds are there that don't die? How many men are having knees put on their necks? How many Sandra Blands are out there being tossed around? We don't, we don't, it doesn't make the news because it's, it's not grim enough. It doesn't even get us enough anymore. It's only the deaths, the gruesome deaths that stick out. But imagine to yourself, if you grew up in a community where every day someone had their, 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 their knee on your neck, where every day somebody was out there oppressing you every single day, you tell me what that does to you as a society, as a community, as a group of people. And when you know that this is happening because of the color of your skin, not because the people are saying it's happening because of the color of your skin, but rather because it's only happening to you and you are the only people who have that skin color. And I know there's people who say, yeah, but like, well, how come black, black people don't care when black people kill? But man, that's one of the dumbest arguments ever. Of course they care. 
If you've ever been to a hood anywhere, not just in America, but anywhere in the world, you'd know how much black people care about that. If you know anything about under-policing and over-policing, though, you would understand how that comes to be. The police show black people how valuable their lives are considered by the society. And so then those people who live in those communities know how to or not deal with those lives. Because best believe, if you kill a white person, especially in America, there is a whole lot more justice than is coming your way than if you killed some black body in a black neighborhood somewhere. And so to anyone who watched that video, don't, don't ask yourself if it's right or wrong to loot. Or, don't ask yourself, wow, what does looting help? Or, no, no, no. Ask yourself, that, ask yourself that question. Ask yourself why it got you that much more watching, watching these people loot because they were destroying the contract that you thought they had signed with your society. And now think to yourself, imagine if you were them watching that contract being ripped up every single day. Ask yourself how you'd feel. Walking around here with baseball bats. Oh, 
CNN Center, Omni Hotel, Georgia Hotel. Everything is destroyed. Things are being defaced. No justice, no Whoa! Oh my god, we throwing stuff over the car. Waffle House is gone. Waffle House is gone. Waffle House is gone. Waffle House is gone. Down for the Atlanta gone crazy. Atlanta gone crazy. Atlanta gone crazy. Atlanta gone crazy. Let me just speak to what's happening here today. Um, above everything else, I am a mother. I am a mother to four black children in America, one of whom is 18 years old. And when I saw the murder of George Floyd, I hurt like a mother would hurt. And on yesterday, when I heard there were rumors about violent protests in Atlanta, I did what a mother would do. I called my son and I said, where are you? I said, I cannot protect you and black boys shouldn't be out today. So you're not going to out concern me and out care about where we are in America. I wear this each and every day. And I pray over my children each and every day. So what I see happening on the streets of Atlanta is not Atlanta. This is not in the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. This is chaos. A protest has purpose. When Dr. King was assassinated, we didn't do this to our city. So if you love this city... This city that has had a legacy of black mayors and black police chiefs and people who care about this city, where more than 50% of the business owners in Metro Atlanta are minority business owners. If you care about this city, then go home and pray that somebody like Reverend Beasley will come and talk to you and give you some instructions on what a protest should look like and how you effectuate change in America. This police chief made a video on yesterday, pull it up on YouTube, where she said she was appalled to watch the murder of George Floyd. This woman did that. You're not honoring the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and the civil rights movement. You're not protesting anything running out with brown liquor in your hands, breaking windows in this city. T.I. and Killer Mike own half the West Side. So when you burn down this city, you're burning down our community. If you want change in America, go and register to vote. Show up at the polls on June 9th. Do it in November. That is the change we need in this country. You are disgracing our city. You are disgracing the life of George Floyd and every other person who has been killed in this country. We are better than this. 
We're better than this as a city. We are better than this as a country. Go home. Go home. In the same way I can protect my son on yesterday, I cannot protect you out in those streets. You're throwing knives at our police officers. You are burning cars. You have to face the CNN building. Ted Turner started CNN in Atlanta 40 years ago because he believed in who we are as a city. There was a black reporter who was arrested on camera this morning who works for CNN. They are telling our stories and you are disgracing their building. This is not the legacy of civil rights in America. This is chaos and we're buying into it. This won't change anything. We're no longer talking about the murder of an innocent man. We're talking about how you're burning police cars on the streets of Atlanta, Georgia. Go home. Go home.